Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University and author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. 500 years before mental health professionals started to do this, Luther was telling people, be aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how you're behaving, change them so that you can help yourself with your depression, with your anxiety. Learn more about Martin Luther on mental health at issuesetc.org. Christians, if you want to protect your children from this, you need to develop right now a pretty healthy understanding of civil disobedience. You cannot be a soft presence here in Sodom and expect your children to be okay. We have seen this huge increase in pet ownership in our country. And I think some of it is this desire for women to continue to mother someone or something. And pets have become really a surrogate to that because of the fact that we've decided that children are not the best way in which we ought to live our lives as women and mothers anymore. Read through the whole New Testament and all the explicit passages about baptism. And if you just, I think, ask that pretty basic question of who's doing the work in this passage? Is it man or is it God? Universally, it's it's God doing the work. It's something that's happening to you. Our defense is the strength of God's word, the testimony of God's spirit in our hearts through that word, through his sacraments. In all these ways, God is preserving us in the faith and defending us against all of these snares. Lutherans at the Old Latin School in Lutherstadt Wittenberg, Love, Issues, Etc. The entertainment industry was already a bit in disarray. There were writer strikes, there were actors' strikes, those things slowly resolving themselves. It's usually just a matter of money and credit. But then came the Israel-Hamas war, and a whole new set of dividing lines opened up in Hollywood. The LA Times headline reads, How the Israel-Hamas War is Dividing Hollywood. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Wednesday afternoon, the 25th of October. Terry Mattingly will join us from Get Religion to talk about this Los Angeles Times story. Dr. Randy Galuzzo, he's the president of the Institute for Creation Research, will be alongside. We'll discuss natural selection, continuous environmental tracking, and adaptive engineering. Don't worry, we'll explain all of that. And then Dr. Rosario Butterfield will join us to continue our conversation on modern culture's lies about sexuality, faith, feminism, gender roles, and modesty. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So right now, is it liberal or is it conservative to support a two-state solution in the Palestinian-Israel puzzle? That, to me, is one of the most interesting questions in the debates we're seeing, both in politics, in academia, and this is one of the things that's kind of looming over this dispute that's covered in the Los Angeles Times story about divisions inside Hollywood. I tweeted out that question not that long after the Hamas blitz of southern Israel, and I was sincerely interested in, in an answer, and hardly anybody responded. And those that did said, it's really hard to know. 
Because if you stop and think about it, for our listeners, let me walk through kind of the logic of asking the question. Normally, seeking a two-state solution to the Palestinian problem or issue or whatever noun you want to use has been kind of a cause favored by liberals within the state of Israel and liberals kind of looking at the Middle East. I mean, wanting to find justice for the Palestinians and to give them a homeland. This has traditionally been a liberal solution to the situation. Liberal in the old sense of the word. I mean, and our listeners have heard me struggle now for years now with what does liberal mean today? What does conservative mean today? And I'm I'm asking the question because of one very key element of the Hamas attack, and that is the people who believe the attack was deliberately timed to shut down talks between Israel and Saudi Arabia toward reaching some sort of treaty of mutual agreement of peace, or at least striving toward peace. And at the heart of that is a recognition of Israel having a right to exist. Now, it means that these countries don't have to agree on everything. They may even disagree on how to seek a two-state solution. And there might be conservative people within Israel, conservative politicals, that still don't believe a two-state solution is realistic. I mean, that's a big, bitter division within Israeli politics. But what does that have to do with the Hamas attack? If the goal of the Hamas attack was to disturb the potential for some increased cooperation between Saudi Arabia and Israel, or some agreement by the Saudi Arabian monarchical government to say that Israel is someone you deal with and you make treaties with and that that nation implied has a right to exist, then what do you do with the slogan that we're now hearing chanted all across America and around the world from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. I was first exposed to that phrase when I was in the Middle East in 2000, when I went there for a conference on religion in the news and to be there when the late St. Pope John Paul II arrived on a pilgrimage into the Middle East to visit Christians, Israel, et cetera, et cetera. He landed in Jordan. And I didn't know what that phrase meant until I saw a poster hanging in an office of a Muslim organization that said, had the slogan on it in English as well as Arabic. And it clearly showed that the meaning of that phrase is the removal of the state of Israel. From the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. In other words, no Israel. Get rid of Israel. Now, when you say get rid of Israel, you can be defining that in several different ways. I mean, at the very least, you're hearing people saying that this phrase, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free, is a call for genocide, an absolute genocide against the Jewish people in Israel. At the very least, you're talking about destroying the world's only Jewish state, 
a state identified explicitly with Judaism in, in every possible way. And the return of the Jews in that land to some sort of secondary demi-status within an Islamic state. Now, I know there are a lot of different variations on that, and some people would disagree that that's what it means. But that's why groups like the Anti-Defamation League and others identify that as an explicitly anti-Semitic statement. From the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. So when we see elementary school students in America or high schools and colleges and people marching around chanting this, at some point you have to ask, what does that mean? And in Hollywood, clearly the fault lines between those who want to support the Palestinian cause in some degree or another or completely, this is a very bitter issue, and especially when you consider the history of debates about the roles of Jews in Hollywood. So I thought it was a very interesting article. I'm not surprised this happened, and I'm not surprised that screenwriters are at the center of this dispute. So let's talk about the L.A. Times story. What was notable in there? Well, I mean, once again, like I just said, that the screenwriters are at the heart of this. Now, when you stop and think about, okay, who are screenwriters in Hollywood? And, of course, we've just come through the strike that has put a lot of attention on screenwriters. But I think it's safe to say that screenwriters are – they're kind of one of the labor classes of Hollywood. And as writers and creators, I would say – my experience at least, the screenwriters are the people who most resemble academics and creative artists of the word, intellect, ideas, arguments, etc. within Hollywood. I mean, obviously that would also apply to many directors and producers and others. But when you're talking about screenwriters, you're talking about people who I would say are at kind of the idealistic edge of Hollywood when it comes to ideas and symbolism and debates. And suffice it to say, these are not the people who are making decisions that affect millions and millions of dollars in the creation of popular culture and entertainment. So the fact that screenwriters are debating each other and that the screenwriters decided as a group that their guild did not release a statement condemning the Hamas slaughter of men, women, and children in southern Israel, you could see how that would be a highly symbolic thing for people in Hollywood. So how would you improve this story if you could? Well, one of the big questions here is whether in the degree to which people were or were not accusing the Writers Guild of America of anti-Semitism by refusing to release this statement. When you bring up the word anti-Semitism, we get into some interesting aspects of the history of Hollywood and the life of Hollywood. Julia Dean wrote a post earlier this week for Get Religion that had a link to a page at the American Jewish Committee offering a working definition of anti-Semitism. And one of the very first things listed for 
right after examples of anti-Semitism include calling for abating or justifying the killing or harming of Jews in the name of a radical ideology or an extremist view of religion. That's number one. But number two, making mendacious, dehumanizing, demonizing, or stereotypical allegations about Jews as such, or the power of Jews as a collective, such as, expressively but not exclusively, the myth about a world Jewish conspiracy, or Jews controlling the media, economy, government, or other societal institutions. And when you say controlling the media, what are you talking about? Largely, for decades, you've talked about people claiming that Jews control Hollywood. And so the minute you talk about Jews and Hollywood or anti-Semitism in Hollywood, you get into discussions. And I want to make it very clear to our listeners, saying that Jews control Hollywood is not the same thing that all kinds of sociologists and researchers, including Jews, have written books about the unusually prominent role that Jews have played in the business and creativity of Hollywood. Statistical numbers and percentages and power is not the same thing as saying Jews control Hollywood. We also, in this case, for one specific element of the story, we get into discussions of whether in Hollywood, and I think this would be true in government and business and academia, but especially in Hollywood. When you say that someone is Jewish, is this a matter of religion or purely a reference to culture and ethnicity? And now we're seeing the exact same questions raised about Islam. When you say that there is a Muslim in Hollywood, are you saying that they are a practicer of the Muslim faith Are you saying that this is their heritage or their ethnicity? I've talked to Jewish leaders in Hollywood that stress over and over, identifying someone as Jewish in Hollywood may say little or nothing about their faith status, and that the role of secular Judaism in Hollywood is in a way, much as it is in business or politics, academia or anything, that's a subject that needs to be discussed. Are we talking about religion in this case? Are we simply talking about culture, ethnicity, race, and family heritage? So the minute you talk about a dispute like this within Hollywood, all kinds of specters are called up related to Hollywood is a place where you can't be religious, or Hollywood is a place where only certain people get to be religious, or Hollywood is in a place this that anti-Semitic trope. Hollywood is a place that is run by the Jews, and no one would dare dispute with them. So that's the kind of subject that looms over this Los Angeles Times story. And it's why this dispute about the action of the Writers Guild is so potent and powerful. Terry Mattingly is our guest. We're talking about a Los Angeles Times story how the Israel-Hamas war is dividing Hollywood. When we come back, we'll delve a little bit more into the story and how has this current conflict made worse the conflict that was already in place in Hollywood given the worker strike.
Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today, is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October. It's written by Lutheran layman Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University. Martin Luther on Mental Health is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. Are you looking for an investment that aligns with your Lutheran values? Look no further than Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Hi, my name is Rahima Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at LCEF, and we're proud to be an entity of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which means our focus is clear. When you invest with LCEF, you're helping LCMS-supported ministries and dedicated church workers. Learn more at lcef.org. America's tradition of liberty depends on having colleges and universities that equip young people for the responsibilities of freedom. At Concordia University Chicago, freedom is a pillar of our education. We prepare our students to live as free, self-governing citizens. I'm Dr. Rachel Ferguson, director of the Free Enterprise Center at Concordia Chicago. I invite you to visit us. Discover what it means for freedom to become a pillar of your future. Learn more at cuchicago.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Terry Mattingly of Get Religion about a Los Angeles Times story, how the Israel-Hamas war is dividing Hollywood. Terry is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, what other religion angles do you think could afford to be explored by a story like the Los Angeles Times piece? Well, I think... It's a perfect example of why the conflict in Gaza is so tricky to discuss. I mean, I kept waiting, for example, when reading the Los Angeles Times story, I kept waiting for like some sort of discussion of the degree to which people were or were not beginning to use the term anti-Semitism in this discussion. But frankly, as we've seen from the get-go, it's very hard to cover the story in a way that fairly handles the concerns, the valid concerns of Palestinians, and at the same time deal with the horrors of what Hamas did. And, and I think right up front, we need some element in these stories that explores the degree to which Hamas is not the Palestinian people and the degree that many Palestinians see Hamas as their enemy, or see Hamas as an enemy 
of their long-range goals, such as preventing the possibility of a two-state solution. If Hamas attacked Israel because of the Saudi Arabia talks, in effect, Hamas is acting to prevent a two-state solution. And many, many Palestinians would favor, obviously, a two-state solution that gives them land and rights and a government and other things that settles their relationship with Israel in many ways. So that's just one factor. I, of course, as someone who is Eastern Orthodox and spent quite a bit of time in a majority Palestinian, Syrian, Lebanese parish when I lived in West Palm Beach, I've extensively heard about the plight of Christians, both in Gaza and in the West Bank and in the entire region, and the complex, painful realities affecting Christians in this region. They're being almost wiped out by ISIS in certain parts of Syria and other parts of the Middle East in general. We had a, a bomb the other day that hit one of the most historic and important Eastern Orthodox churches in Gaza, and dozens or hundreds of people were killed. Once again, it was stated that this was Israeli shelling. At the same time, you get into problems that there are institutions that I think journalists need to pursue this. What major institutions in Gaza have been forced to either house branches of Hamas and its government. I mean, hospitals that are linked to the Hamas medical agencies or mosques or institutions that house Hamas political offices and stuff like that. There have been allegations, I stress the word allegations, of large storehouses of armaments and shells and bombs being placed in effect using Palestinian institutions, both Muslim and Christian, etc., as large forms of human shields to make it difficult for Israel to get in and try to clear out Gaza, capture the hostages if possible. But also think about this. Put yourself in the position of being a Christian Palestinian, knowing that you're, for generations your life has been shaped both by the victories of Israel and by the attacks of Islamic forces on Israel. And when you deal with the fact that many of the holy sites, like Bethlehem leaps to mind, many of the holy sites that are most dear to Christians in the Middle East, Palestinian Christians, Arab Christians, Orthodox Christians, Catholics, many of them are very close to Jerusalem and very close to the state of Israel and thus, when Muslim nations or Muslim forces attacked Israel and Israel won, Christians often lost everything in their lives. They were in a position to most be affected by the loss of businesses and homes and lands, etc. So the situation with this LA Times story and trying to figure out how do you support the Palestinians which is one issue, as to how do you take positions and make statements that in effect support Hamas. 
I mean, there are allegations by Palestinians, Americans, Jewish, et cetera, that any time large amounts of financial aid are sent to Gaza, it ends up in the hands of Hamas, or it ends up being administrated in a way that helps Hamas. So can you picture this being debated in, in Hollywood right now? How do you make a statement that says, I oppose Israel attempting to completely recapture Gaza or go in there with tanks and the thousands who would die, I'm worried about that, separating that position and separating support for a, a two-state solution, separating that from support for Hamas and support for what Hamas did in southern Israel in that slaughter. And one other thing that I want to mention all of this shows how hard it is in cancel culture and in our current divided America. The fact that the First Amendment, old-fashioned First Amendment liberalism, where everybody gets to speak their mind, and that's the sort of thing that you should see defended in Hollywood and defended in mass media. Well, okay, does that mean that someone, this case is mentioned it, LA Times article, a very powerful agent like Maha Dakhil Jackson, who is someone that, once again, what is her religious status? Her parents, she was raised in Sunni Islam. To what degree is she a Muslim, a practicing Muslim, someone who's Muslim by heritage? To what is this a matter of ethnicity? Well, but does she have free speech? She apparently made social media appeals or retweeted things that seemed to suggest that she was opposing Israel's attempt to regain hostages or blockade Gaza in some form or fashion. And there was a backlash against this. At the same time, you have other people in Hollywood making very powerful statements. You should not be surprised that someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger, someone who has been very public about the Nazism in his own family past, has made statements. You should not be surprised that Sergeant Gal Wonder Woman Gadot has been one of the people in Hollywood. I mean, someone who has served in the Israeli military and defense forces, that she would be very offended by the Writers Guild refusing or declining to release a statement on the slaughter in southern Israel. But do these people still have First Amendment rights? To what degree is someone canceled for First Amendment rights? To what degree is the First Amendment no longer practical in a community that is as divided on so many of these issues as Hollywood, or a community that has so much to lose financially as Hollywood? So anyway, this was a good article. It was definitely worth reading. But I would say it raised just as many questions as it answered. With about a minute here, Terry, Hollywood is kind of notorious for just jumping on the bandwagon of the latest <laughs> thing. Yes. And is it possible to discern a little bit of hesitancy not knowing which bandwagon to jump on in this particular case? It's usually pretty obvious for Hollywood. Yes, and Hollywood has been politically correct in every sense of the word on issue after issue after issue. So at the heart of this Writers Guild situation is, okay, why didn't they make a statement? They make a statement after every riot 
They make a statement after any kind of conflict. They make a statement on anything that hints at gun control. They make a statement on many, many issues that divide Americans. Why silence? And you can picture them sitting there going, okay, our membership, our community is divided on the Palestinian question. Really, here's the big issue. Is the Hollywood community divided ultimately on the right of Israel to exist, to defend itself, and to continue? And how has that issue become entangled in issues about how do you support Palestinians and what does supporting them mean in practical terms, like support of a two-state solution? Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. When we come back, Dr. Randy Galuza joins us. He's president of the Institute for Creation Research. We will talk about the claims and the weaknesses of natural selection. Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. And look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Or call Lynn, 618 618- 223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. <laughs> 